It's great to be with you. Good to see you. Happy Father's Day. If you would, turn to Matthew chapter 7. I'm uh, very thankful for my wife and my children. So glad to be a husband and a father, which I'm sure many of you are as well. Obviously, as Jackson mentioned, we're still in the midst of all kinds of things going on in our country, and there's all kinds of things we could say about that, Um, but I wanted today to focus on uh, not so much talking about biblical justice like we did last week, um, but to talk about the God of biblical justice, Um, because I don't know about you, but I need some encouragement I need some reminders about the God who's in charge because things are pretty crazy right now in so many ways. And so uh, today we're going to talk about uh, fatherhood as we celebrate uh, Father's Day, but I want us to focus on uh, the good father. And there are three things that I want us to see from this passage. We're going to focus on uh, verse 11 especially, but I'm going to read all 12 verses in a moment. The first thing is the good father is seen even in evil fathers. And we'll talk about what that means. The good father knows what good things to give. And finally, the good father knows how to give good things. And and let me encourage you to really think about that and think about it in light of all that's going on right now because I'm praying that it'll be a great comfort and encouragement to you as it has been to me. So join me in reading verses 1 through 12 of Matthew 7. It says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who... When his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of God. Now, there's a lot in that passage that we could talk about with regard to the issue of biblical justice, and you may recognize some things that were touched on last week that actually uh, we can find in this passage. But we want to focus on what it says about the God of justice this week. I know if you're like me and my family, we've all uh, missed you guys greatly. We've missed this time together greatly, and we're so glad to be back together this morning And one of the things that we've missed, and that many of you have missed too, I'm sure, is the singing. And, uh, you know, listening to each other sing hasn't been as fun as listening to all of us together sing. It's so much richer, so much more encouraging in so many different ways. And um, the question is, why do we sing? 
Why did God even command in the Old Testament uh, singers to devote their whole life to singing? Well, it's related, I think, to something I read this week in the book of Nehemiah. The people there were worshiping God, they were listening to the word of God, and they began weeping because they saw their failure to keep the word of God. They saw how little they were conforming to the word of God, and they began to cry, they began to weep. And the leaders said, this day is holy to the Lord your God, do not mourn or weep. They said, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, is it good and right to grieve over our sin? It definitely is. But grief should not define us or control us. Yes, we should grieve when grieving is appropriate, but it should not define us or control us. We're to be controlled and defined by the joy of the Lord. And the question is, why is that? Why is that so important? Well, you could argue that the favorite chorus of Israel in the Old Testament was uh, Psalm 136, verse 1, where it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. In that one psalm, it says that 25 more times. And you can find it throughout the Old Testament, where David and others commanded the Levites to sing and to do just that, to declare that the Lord is good and his loving kindness Last forever. Why do we need to hear that? Why do we need to sing that? Because there are things going on that cause us to question the goodness of our Father and whether or not His loving kindness is still in charge. And what kind of love is that? Well, Jesus came to show us the love of the Father. It's the love of a good Father. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, Look again at verse 11. It says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And so the focus of the verse is on the Father who is in heaven. Now, the Father in heaven implies that the Father who's being talked about is more than just a man. He's God. Because in Daniel it says, heaven rules, which means the God of heaven rules. So it's talking about God when it says the Father, your Father there. And heaven is a place where you only find the good. So he must be a good Father. And in this uh, verse, twice it mentions the giving of good things. So we're talking about a good, good Father. Now the interesting thing is, the very first point that's made is the good Father is actually seen in evil fathers. And we have to talk about what that means because you notice Jesus says in verse 11, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what is good? So he starts off by saying that if you evil fathers, and who's he talking to there? Well, if you go back and you look at the very beginning, uh, he's talking directly to his disciples and indirectly, you might say, but still directly to the crowd. So there's the disciples there who gather around him for the teaching, and then there's a crowd that's listening. So he's talking to everybody because Jesus said when the um, rich ruler came up and said, um, good teacher, you know, how can I have eternal life? He said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. And so if you're not good... 
You must be evil. Well, the word for evil there is poneros, which is the same word that's used in other places in Scripture when it's talking about the devil. And so there's some sense in which he's saying, if you naturally, sinfully, or like the devil, but you still know how to give good things, how much more with he who is totally opposite to the devil is going to give good things. Now, what do we mean by that? I've told the story before about uh, Adolf Eichmann, who was one of the leaders in the destruction of the Jews um, in the concentration camps. They caught him. They took him to trial in Israel, and they brought in witnesses who had actually survived the concentration camps. And one of them uh, came in and saw him and just began shouting and sobbing and just fell down and collapsed on the floor. And a lot of people thought he was overcome with hatred or he was overcome with sorrow or maybe he was just overcome with the evil that he saw in that man's face. Later on, he said, you know what? That isn't why I broke down and collapsed like I did. The reason why I collapsed was I realized that he wasn't the demon that I imagined. He was a normal man just like me. And I realized Eichmann is in all of us. What does that mean to say Eichmann is in all of us? is to say, it doesn't mean that all of us has done, have done the same things Eichmann, Eichmann has done or Hitler has done, or um, even, you know we haven't been as bad as we could be, but it is to say that when it says in Jeremiah chapter 2, for my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water, God defines evil as rejecting the ultimate good and worshiping something that can never satisfy. So it may be uncommon evil to be like Hitler or like Eichmann, but it's a very common evil to be like what Jeremiah talks about, to be people who say, you know what, I'm not so sure God is the ultimate good, and I think I'll just come up with something better than God. And so it says something about God. It says something about what we're turning to, It says something about our own hearts. And that's why Jesus can look at even his disciples as well as the crowd and look at each of us and say, if you being evil in that sense, naturally, sinfully, still know how to do what is good, by contrast, how much more will your Father who is perfect, perfect love, perfect light, in him there is no darkness, how much more... Can you trust him for what is good? If you look to other people who are imperfect and you look, you expect good from them and you can actually see good in them, how much more should we expect that from God? You know, when I think of my own father, uh, who's no longer living in heaven, um, he wasn't perfect. and And yet I can see good things in his life. I can see how he loved me in various ways and was faithful in various ways. And there were good things in my dad. And when you think about what God has called us to, he's called us to honor our fathers and mothers. What is he really calling us to do? Is he, is he calling us to make up stuff? You know, when we don't feel like we can actually honor someone? No, he's saying, if 
you look hard enough in any person, uh, you're likely to find good things. And where, what are you to do with those good things? Even, even when fathers who are very imperfect in a lot of ways and maybe are on the, more on the worst end rather than the better end, if you look hard enough, you still in many cases can find good things. But what, what do you do with those good things? You trace them back to God. You say the only reason that that evil person has anything good in them, whether they're on the good evil side or the bad evil side, if we want to think in those terms, the only reason there's any good there is because of the image of God that's still in them. And it points back to God. So to honor your father on Father's Day isn't just to honor the imperfect, even, as Jesus says here, evil father in some sense, imperfect in that sense, but to honor the true father and to be thankful that whatever goodness you can see in your father is ultimately pointing you to the good father who calls you to trust him even in these very tumultuous days. The uh, second thing is the good father knows what good things to give. Notice again in verse 11, it says, How much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Literally, will give good. Now, the ultimate good he can give us is actually uh, expanded on in Luke 11, verse 13, where instead of saying uh, that he knows how to give us good things, he sa- it says there he will give us the Holy Spirit, which means the greatest good that God can give you is himself, because the Holy Spirit is God. So the greatest thing God can give you is himself and and everything else that goes with that, everything else that flows out of the good father that he is. You might remember in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Father Christmas. Now, Father Christmas is somehow related to Santa Claus, but is different from Santa Claus. Uh, in C.S. Lewis's mind, uh, Father Christmas was more than just our popular conception of Santa Claus. Because if you remember, if you've heard the story, uh, Father Christmas shows up as things begin to change in Narnia, and he shows up and he uh, meets the beavers and he meets the children, and he gives them gifts. He gives the she-beaver a new sewing machine and the he-beaver a a fixed dam. Um, Peter, he gives a sword and a shield, and Susan, he gives a bow and arrows and a horn. Uh, Gives Lucy some uh, healing medicine and a small dagger and he gives a feast to the animals and the important thing to see there is what he does is he doesn't give them toys he gives them tools and someone has put it this way that when you think about um, C.S. Lewis and how he describes um Father Christmas, he describes him in this way. He says, C.S. Lewis's Father Christmas is so big and so glad and so real that he makes everyone feel very glad, but also very solemn. And And the power and solemnity of this version of Father Christmas are reinforced by the type of gifts that he gives. Instead of distributing toys and games and weird sweaters, Father Christmas gives Peter, Susan, and Lucy tools in fact, weapons that they can use in the upcoming battle between good and evil. So in the midst of spreading cheer, he's equipping his people 
for the fight between good and evil. And so one of the most important things to think through in light of this verse is fatherhood is being defined in terms of giving. The good father gives. The good father is about giving. He isn't a taker. He's a giver. His, his life is about giving. And the good father here is a giving father. And the important thing is he knows what we need. He, father Christmas knew what Peter needed, knew what Lucy needed, knew what Susan needed, and gave them what they needed, what was most important for them, the good gifts they really needed. And so a good father knows the difference between a bad gift and a good gift and therefore seeks to give what is good. You'll notice in verses 9 and 10, it says, What man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? It's asking us the question, do you really think that if you ask for something good from God, he's going to give you something bad? And the implication is we often do. Otherwise, we wouldn't have all the encouragement in the scripture to really believe that our Father is good and that he will give us what is good. The problem comes in, though, sometimes when we think we're asking for bread, we're asking for a stone. And God says, I don't give stones. Sorry. Or we think we're asking for fish and we're asking for a snake. He says, sorry, I don't give snakes. You can ask all day for a snake and for a stone, and I'll never give it to you. But I will give you bread, and I will give you fish. I will give you what is good, because I'm a good, good father. And I know exactly what it, what good is. I, I defined good. I am good. And I will give you truly what is good. Just think about what God has given you in this life. Think about what he's given you. Can you list all the good things that you've enjoyed? And have you traced them all back to the good, good father? Now, obviously, God gives us things that we recognize as good. There are other things that we look at and we say, is this really good? And he says, it's designed for your good. Therefore, it's a good gift. You know, we call the Friday on which Jesus was crucified, on which love personified was murdered, Good Friday. Why do we call it Good Friday? Because of what happened? Not necessarily. Not in terms of evil men putting to death the Lord of life, as Peter says in Acts, but because of why it happened. We call it Good Friday because of why it happened. It happened because God loved us and sent his son that we might be saved. And so God gives good gifts and he, and he gives those gifts and sometimes they don't look good, but the why behind it that comes from the heart of the Father for us lets us know it's really good. It's really, really good. And I can sing. I can be found singing when the day ends, no matter what that day may hold. And then finally, the good father knows how to give good things, knows how to give them. So it's one thing 
to give good things. It's another thing to know how to give good gifts. It says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts. Now, that could be translated more literally, know to give good gifts. And so that could point toward, uh, even as a sinner, you instinctively know you should be giving good gifts to your children. Or it could be that you know that you ought to give good gifts to your children. But it also could imply that that you, even as a sinner, work toward and know how to work toward giving good things to your children. Uh, there's a story that's been told in different ways about how God has designed um, the life of a butterfly. It starts out as a caterpillar, forms a cocoon, and then pokes a little hole in that cocoon, and then begins to squeeze its way out of that cocoon. Now, if you come by, as some people have said they've actually done, if you come by and get your scissors out of your pocket and say, that guy's having some trouble. He's trying to squeeze himself through that little hole. It looks like he's having a hard time. It looks like he's stuck. So I'm going to clip this little cocoon and free him. If you do that, he'll plop down on the ground, and he may die right there, or if he does live, he'll be swollen and maimed his rest of his life, and he'll never fly. And so the whole struggle is designed by God so that all that needs to be pushed into that little butterfly's wings will be pushed into that little butterfly's wings so that someone has said what the man might do in his kindness and haste did not understand was that the restricting cocoon and the struggle required for the butterfly to get through the tiny opening were God's way of enabling the butterfly to fully develop so it could fly. So it could fly. It's God's gift that he sticks us in places, little small holes to get through. And we feel pressure. That's what tribulation means. It means literally pressure, like the pressure that you put on a grape to crush it and make good stuff, like wine. And so God puts us in pressure-packed situations, and he puts us in cocoons where we have to squeeze our way out, and we wish someone would take some scissors and clip that thing and set us free. God says, no, don't you want to fly? Or do you want to just be swollen and, and dragging yourself along on the ground all, all during your life? What do you really want? What have you been asking me for? What have you been praying for? Well, the caterpillar prays to be a butterfly. So God sticks him in a cocoon and puts him in a straight, difficult place and says, okay, squeeze your way out. And God does beautiful and wonderful things in the process. There's so much that uh, we could comment on in light of this, but good fathering is about giving. It's about knowing what to give that's truly good, and it's about knowing the best, most wise way to give it. Like people have said, um, giving a homeless person something may meet an immediate need or want, but sometimes it's not the best thing to do just to give it to them. Sometimes it's better to do other things to try and help someone rather than just giving a handout. And God works that way many, many times. In 1 Peter 1, 6, it says, "If In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. That means every single thing that's gone on over the last 13 weeks since we met back in March has been necessary. Necessary for what? 
necessary for your good, good father to give you good things. In fact, to give you the good things that you may not even know that you need. It's all been a part of God's perfect plan, God's perfect and wise way of giving good, good things. Now there's there's more to say about that um, because as the hymn says, this is my father's world. This is my father's world. And there's all kinds of things that God is doing when he's orchestrating things. There are people who aren't trusting Christ, and there are people that are outside the family of God, and he's also doing things in light of what they're doing. And so the Bible does talk about the fact that the good father judges sin justly. And as some of what is happening in our country, uh, a judgment on our country for killing babies and doing other things that are just horrendous, Yes, I have every reason to believe that, yes, we're experiencing, as a nation, things that are a just consequence of the sins of our nation. I have no doubt about that. But for us as God's people, the very thing that might be a just consequence on a sinful nation is actually something that God is using to bring us the very good that we're praying for and that we're longing for so that we don't even need to fear that. We don't even need to fear God's just punishment on a wicked nation that does so many things that are horrendous and horrible and abominable in the sight of God. God is still doing good things in the hearts of his people. And if I had time, I could show you from Scripture why I think that's true. Even in that, God is calling sinners to repentance. Even in the judgment, he is saying, turn to me and find forgiveness. That's God's kindness even in the midst of his judgment. It says very clearly in Romans 2 that all the good things we enjoy, both sinners and those who are saved, it says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Well, the two things that I think especially apply to us as Christians that God is up to as a good father is that he's doing things, as we've said many times before, that are too wonderful for us to understand. Job suffered greatly, and he could not understand why he was suffering. Job 42 says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Which was God's question to Job. Job says, Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. This whole passage centers around the issue of prayer. And many times, difficult things, hard things, bad things happen. And our response is, I didn't ask for this. What do you think God's response is when we say to him, I didn't ask for this? God would say, oh, yes, you did. I'm just giving you what you asked for. Now, we may not make that connection. We may not think anything that's going on has anything to do with what I'm praying. But I guarantee you, as a child of God, God is answering your prayers. Are you praying that God would send revival to this nation? Are you praying that God would save souls? Are you praying that God would make you more godly and more of a person who loves him and loves other people? Then you can bet everything that's going on is carefully designed by God to answer your prayers and my prayers. 
He's not turning a deaf ear. He's actually hearing us and responding to us. Don't you, don't you remember that when um, the children of Israel are in bondage and they start crying out to God and God appears to Moses in the burning bush and says, go to Pharaoh. So he eventually goes with Aaron. And if you notice, the way the story plays out, things got worse before they got better. Things got really bad. And yet those really bad things were the fruit of God doing the very thing that they had prayed that he would do. So we should not be surprised if we find ourselves in difficult circumstances because this is our Father's world. Satan is on a leash and God is using Satan in whatever way he sees fit and and Satan is behind the evil. God isn't doing evil. But this is our Father's world and we have no reason to be afraid We have every reason to rejoice that everything is being designed for his glory and for our good and for the salvation of other people that need to be brought into the fold. There's a song that Chris Tomlin sings that I think we're all very familiar with called Good, Good Father. And it begins by saying, oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, what they think you're like. But I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. And you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. I've seen many searching for answers far and wide. But I know we're all searching for answers only you provide. Because you know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. Because you are perfect in all your ways. It's love so undeniable. I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable. I can hardly think as you call me deeper still into love Love, love. God works to call us deeper. He calls us to find him to be everything that he's promised to be. And he will not leave us on the the edges of fellowship. He will drive us to himself that we might be truly and fully and forever satisfied. And I thank God for that. And that's why the Bible says... Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. But you've got a good, good Father, and no one can thwart his purposes to give you what is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can rejoice in you as the good, good Father that you are. We thank you so much that in the midst of such a chaotic and disturbing time that we can rejoice, that we need not be defined nor controlled by grief or fear, but we can rest and we can rejoice in you, our God and our Father, our Lord and our Savior. But we're weak and we're unbelieving in so many ways. Help thou our unbelief, strengthen our faith, And grant us grace to rejoice in you. 
even as we celebrate the goodness we see in our fathers, help us to today rejoice in the goodness we see in you, the greatest father of all. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen and amen.